of your tithes and offerings, go with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. All right, my voice is getting stronger, guys. I just got to use some wisdom at times, and that's a challenge for me. We've been talking now for, I bet we're on the ninth week about the fear of the Lord. I, I beginning to sense that we're coming like this, we're coming in, about ready to finish. How much longer? Probably another three, three weeks, probably at least. There's still some things that, man, I can tell God wants us to hit on. But tonight we're going to look at it, at it another way. I must and you must let the Word of God be the anchor of your life. I cannot desire comfort over the Word of God, and I cannot substitute God's Word for the knowledge of man. Now, God's kingdom, guys, isn't a, a democracy. God's kingdom is, I must live and obey by His Word. Now, here in 2 Peter, Peter gives us a little bit of insight, starting in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Note, he says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Now, when he says this, exactly what things is he talking about? Well, he answers that in the next sentence. He goes on and says, Though you know and are established in the present truth. So Peter right here is telling you, i got to be negligent. I can't be negligent. i got to remind you of the truth. I've got to remind you of the Word of God. This shows me the significance that Peter understood with the Word of God. Verse 13. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Now when he's talking about a tent, guys, he's not talking about a Coleman little pop-up tent. Actually, the tent he's talking about there is his physical body. And he's saying, as long as I'm in this physical body, I've got to stir you up and remind you of the things about the Word of God. Verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. You know what he's talking about here? Dying. Death. Okay? Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, you know what Peter knew? He knew the importance of establishing the Word of God in our lives today, tomorrow, and next week. He, I believe he's telling us, listen guys, we got to get a hold of the Word of God. And I can't get away from the Word of God. Now it's interesting that in verse 12, verse 13, and verse 15, he talks about reminding us. He said, I, got to, I think he's, he's hit, giving us a hint here, we must even remind ourselves constantly of the Word of God. And if you look at the way he says to remind us, he says, I will not be negligent. He says, I'm going to stir you up. And the last one, he said, I'm going to be very careful to remind you. And so I believe Peter right here, guys, he's, he's trying to tell us that in life it becomes very easy to sway from, from the truth. It, it becomes very easy to start drifting away. And you know what? It can be just a little bit at a time. Turn over back to your left to Hebrews chapter number 2. 
Hebrews chapter 2. Now I want to see, let you see this here tonight. And this will tie into everything we're talking about. We must continually remind one another what the Bible says. What the Word of God says. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. One translation says, all the more careful attention. Another one specifically says that we may pay more careful attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And so what he's talking about here, guys, is we must heed the Word of God continually, or we're going to start drifting away from it. Now, the, the word there that he's talking about as far as drifting It's used in reference to a ship. A ship, guys, that is not anchored, it will begin to just drift. And it's the same in our life. If we're not anchored to the Word of God, we will drift. I don't care who you are. I I love one of the, the, the favorite places of mine to go is the ocean. I love the ocean. I love the big waves. I mean, I, I, I grow gills. I love to be in the water that much. And I remember being at the ocean at times, and some of you may to, to understand this, that I would get in front of a certain lifeguard stand and say, okay, this is lifeguard number eight. And that was the center point that I knew this is exactly the area we're going to be in. And before long, without even noticing it, I'm down here, way down here where I can hardly see lifeguard number eight stand. And a lot of times, it didn't take any effort. Just the current would take you that way. Now, other times, if you got in riptide, it would really take you that way. It was very subtle. This is exactly what happens to us as believers. That just a little bit away from God, and a little bit away from the Word of God, and a little bit away from church, and before long, you're way out here. I, I was at Walmart the other night on Monday night crucifying my flesh. And I came down the aisle and there was a, a young lady who had been in our church. And guys, she, she had a terrible, terrible life. And I remember when she got saved here and started really getting involved and she fell in love with a, a man and... I, I, I tried to warn her, you don't want to marry him. I'm going to tell you that right now. You don't want to marry him. You know why I say that? If they don't love God with all their heart, they won't love you with all their heart. There you go, ladies. There you go, men. Understand that, okay? And I didn't want to say that because I didn't want her to be married. I want her to be married. I want her to have a great, great man. But she got a milk dud is what she got. It's a flat dud. I see her the other night and it literally broke my heart because she had drifted. And she could hardly look at me in in my eyes and I was able to say to her, God loves you. God loves you, but this is what happens. And you know what? I'm not just talking about her. That can happen to me. That can happen to you if you don't allow the Word of God to anchor you. Verse 3 or 2. For if the word spoken through angels, the Mosaic law, provides steadfast, or proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receives a just reward or just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
And so he's talking about here, guys, even living by the Word of God. You know, when you get born again, that's point A. That's the starting point. Getting born again isn't the end of our walk. That's the starting point. And if you'll notice here, verses 1 and 2, he gets over onto the Word of God. And if I don't live by the Word of God, you know what ultimately happens? I neglect this great salvation. And when I neglect this great salvation, guys, I'll never walk into the fruit that God wants me to, nor you. Now tonight, let's go back, way back into the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And as you're turning there, let me just say this. Don't dismiss the truth to justify your apathy. And what I mean by that, and maybe you've said this before or you've thought this. When it comes to Scripture or the Word of God, maybe you've said before. I've heard that before. I already know that. Well, duh. The issue isn't is that if you know it or you heard it, the issue is do you do it? Do you live by it? And many times, you know, you can come in here and talk about what we're going to start speaking on and people say, I've already heard that. Well, good. Do you live it? And so I believe this is even what, what Peter was trying to tell us back in, 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 in Peter when we read that. Hebrews, or not Hebrews, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Now what's going on here, guys? The, the 70 years have passed since the ark of the covenant was in Israel. What is the ark of the covenant, guys? It was the presence of the Lord. And the Philistines had taken it. Now you got to understand this, back in the Old Testament... The Ark of the Covenant, guys, it was the center of the nation's worship. It was their most precious possession. I want you to think just for a second here. The Ark of the Covenant has been gone from Israel for 70 plus years. Can you imagine the state of Israel spiritually? It couldn't have been very good. So King David now, He's on the throne and he said, you know what we got to do? We got to get the Ark of the Covenant back into our, our land and back into our lives. So this is what's happening. Verse 3. So they set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir, wood, on harps, string instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and cymbals. Now you know what this shows me? This was a big deal. This was a big deal. Man, they broke out the instruments and started tearing it up. Verse number 6. And when they had come to Nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Okay, so get this, guys. These two sons of Abinadab, 
They're moving the cart back to Israel. It says that Ahio is leading it out in front. The other son, Uzzah, was behind it and evidently one of the ox stumbles. When the ox stumbles, this son named Uzzah reaches out with his hand to try to support it from it falling on the ground. Look what happens in verse 7. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him there for his heir, and he died there before the ark of God. Now every time I read that, man, it, it stirs me up. I look at that and I think, here this guy is wanting to help to move the ark of God back. And to protect it, he grabs it with his hand. And because of that, right there in front of all of them, he's struck dead. I don't know about you, if I would have been in that presence, you know what I would have done immediately? I'd have got down on my knees. I mean, you're you talking about getting your attention real quick. Now, I want you to highlight something there. It says specifically that he was, that, that he was struck down for his error. The error, guys, that he's talking about was not sin. The error was irreverence. This is what happened because of irreverence. There was no fear of God. Now, in this, in this situation, guys, King David made two horrible mistakes. The first one he made is that any time the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported, they were to do it on their shoulders like this. They were specifically mandated by Moses to carry it on their shoulders. The second mistake he made is the only ones that were to transport the Ark of the Covenant was the Levites, the priests. Neither one of Abinadab's sons were of the Levite tribe. Okay? And so when I begin to look at this, I think, this is hard, God. This was difficult. This is even what David thought. Now I want to I review back with you just, and this is how we started eight or nine weeks ago. Remember that just a few generations before this was a priest named Eli. And Eli had two corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Remember those two sons were the ones that were committing sexual immorality, not at their house, but right there in the church. It was blatant before God, right there in the church, but there was no apparent judgment. So here as human beings, let's just think about this a second. In my eyes and your eyes, what would be worse? Would it be worse what Eli's two sons did committing blatant sexual immorality in the church? Or what uh, Abinadab Sam Uzzah did by grabbing his hand on the ark? You know what I said immediately? Man, it was way worse what Eli's sons did. But here's what happens in that. And here's the point I want to make again real quick. In Eli's son's lives, the glory of the Lord had departed. When you read that passage about Eli and his sons, it said there was hardly anything of, of God going on in their nation. 
But right here with Abinadab's son, the glory of the Lord was returning. Now remember, when the glory of the Lord increases, judgment increases. Okay? Just keep that thought again. Now look what happens in verse 8. And David became angry. You know who he was angry at? He was angry at God. What's up, God? Now look what happens here. And he was angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which means the outburst against Uzzah. Now what ends up going on here, guys, is Moses had given clear instructions to them. He had told them exactly what they were to do to transport the ark. Three months later, and you can find this passage in 2 Chronicles 15, three months later, David transports the ark. And you know how he does it this time? He uses the Levites. The thing I want to show you here is, guys, I believe David may have known the truth. He could have read the Scriptures and found out the truth. But if he did the truth and didn't obey it in doing it, you know what that tells me? He drifted. He started neglecting the Word of God in his life. And when I neglect and I, I, I drift from the Word of God, guys, it's always going to get me in trouble. Now, where did David get the idea to transport the Ark of the Covenant like he did the first go around? Well, if you were to look back in 1 Samuel 6, when the Philistines took hold of the Ark of the Covenant, that's how they transported it. They put it on a cart and they hooked it up with the oxen. And so I believe David and his men saw that and they thought, you know what, let's do it just like that. But listen, guys. We can't take our advice from man or we can't take our advice from the world, okay? We are to take our advice from the, God, the book of God, the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And anytime I get over and start saying, well, this is how the world did it, I'm going to get in trouble, guys. You're going to get in trouble. And we're seeing that more and more even with our churches. Listen, guys. Mankind doesn't set the rules and the laws to the church. God does. And we need to figure out and find out in the Bible what God says about things. And really, the, the, the reverence and the fear of God cannot be taught by man. It can only be taught by the Word of God. That's it. Now, I'm hitting this tonight in certain areas. And I begin to think as believers... How can we dishonor God? How can we be irreverent to God? Because I'm going to tell you right now, actually we were in Haggai chapter 2 a week ago. Haggai 2.9, it says and it talks specifically about the latter rain. The latter rain, guys, isn't talking about these thunderstorms that are building tonight. The latter rain is talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the closer Jesus gets to his return, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to become stronger and stronger and stronger. You know what that means? Judgment will start increasing. 
more and more and more. And if you want an example about the latter rain, just go to the, the book of Acts and look what happened in Acts. Remember how people started getting born again on masses. How there were miracles, there were healings. Thanks, so, Guys, this stuff is going to start happening. More and more and more and more. And so really one of the reasons we're teaching on this, we got to prepare our hearts. So I'm sitting here thinking, how can I be irreverent to Father God when I come in here? I believe this, guys, when we come in here and we have sorry attitudes, in praise and worship, we sit there with our hands in our pockets. We sit there and play on our cell phones. I'm going to tell you, I, I believe this with all my heart. The day will come when you may look over and think, man, oh, Raul, he just fell asleep. Yeah, he fell asleep. He checked out of that tent. It's what happened. I believe this is going to happen. I believe when we come in here and we pray, but we're not reverent toward God, things are going to happen. Here's you a good one. 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about partaking of the communion elements. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. it says, Do not partake of the communion in an unworthy manner. You know what the message says? Do not partake in an irreverent manner. What does that mean? When you come in here and you partake of the communion elements and you have the thought, thank God we're getting a little snack today. And you guys realize when we take communion here, we don't give you a stale piece of cracker. Miss Brenda back there, she makes fresh communion bread. It's so fresh and awesome that we have to fight people after the service. They want the bag so they can take it. I'm serious. And so people come in here and think, man, my tummy's growling. I get a little snack and fill me up. How about a little shot of grape juice? I'm kind of thirsty. I'm telling you guys, that stuff is irreverent to Father God. And when we look at this book as just another book, instead of saying, man, Father God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father God. And when I come in here and pray, that I give God my best. I give my heart to God. And one of the things I have to do when I pray, if I'm like a lot of you, when I come in here and pray at times, my mind is in a million places. My mind can be on the phone. My mind can be at job. My mind can be at the golf course. I'm serious. My mind can be on more than one. And I have to say, no, Father God, help me. I want to give you my undivided attention. I want to come in here and pray with a sincerity. And so we look at these things in the Bible about how God took notice. And God's going to start taking notice again and again. Now look back in the old, uh, into the New Testament at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. The next few weeks, guys, we're going to hit more of these and I just want to show you biblically. Because things are going to begin to happen more and more and more and more. How do I know that? Well, all you got to do is read your Bible to start getting in the Word and you'll see. And anytime, guys, you see evil start increasing... Understand, guys, God's going to start increasing. God's going to start increasing. God is not going to be outdone, okay? God is the God who's going to get the final say-so. And it isn't over until God says it's over. James chapter 5, verse number 7. Therefore, be patient. 
Now I want you to listen real close to what that word patient in the Greek means. It means to endure and not lose heart. To be patient, guys, isn't just to sit here and cross your legs. Hey, man, I wish God would do what He's going to do. To live patient, guys, He tells me, I must endure and I can't lose heart. You know what happens when I lose heart? I drift. I get away from the things of God. i tell you guys, there's times in my life I can sense myself drifting. What do you do, pastor, to get back up? Man, I get in there and I start reading. I start studying the Word. I dig in. And I pray a lot in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you that right now. To get my focus back. So he says this right here. Therefore, be patient, brethren, believers. He's talking to us. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Waiting patiently for until it receives the early and the latter rain. Haggai 2.9. Until he receives the early and the latter rain. Now, right here, James is using the analogy that how a farmer waits for the precious rain. This is exactly what he's ta talking to me and you about, but not for the precious rain for necessarily our crops, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, guys, things are going to happen, but you've got to endure. You can't lose heart. These things are going to take place. Verse 8. You also be patient. How? Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. I've got to maintain my state, guys. I've got to get the Word of God in me. And I've got to continue to live by it. Day by day by day by day. And part of that is I've got to become disciplined. Where I say, Father God, I'm going to get in the Word today. I'm going to take time to pray. And one of the best things I can tell you to do when I feel like I'm, I'm losing my edge spiritually, how many of you have ever sensed that? Where you feel like, man, I'm losing my edge. I, I don't have the desire to pray. I don't have the desire to get in the Word. I, I don't feel like the things of God are happening to me. In other words, on the inside, I'm really dry. You know what I'll do? I'll fast a day or two. And some of you say, dear God, I'm not going to fast. I'll tell you guys, something happens when I fast. It gets my mind off of my physical self, everything that's going around on me, and it draws me back closer to God. And you guys who've been coming to church here, you know we start every year with a fast. I want you to know, it doesn't mean you only have to fast the first part of January. There's times in our life, guys, you may need to fast a day. You may need to fast a meal. When I'm really beginning to seek God, guys, I fast. It draws me closer to Him. It keeps my heart right. Go to page, a couple pages back to your left to James 2. James 2. And this is what we'll end with. Maybe. We'll try. James 2. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith with your works. 
And I will show you my faith by my works. One translation says, by my works of obedience. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Now, when I read that there, I believe many times there's professing Christians that profess Jesus as Lord, but they don't believe or fear God even any more than a person who's never set foot in the church. So he makes a comment here and he says, you believe that there is one God? You do well. But look how he ends. But even the demons believe and tremble. So you know what he's saying? You may profess Jesus as Lord of your life, but you don't fear Him. The demons not only believe in Him, they fear Him. When Jesus comes around, they fear Him. They fear Him in an ugly way, but He's telling us here, guys, part of my believing in the Lord is I must learn to live with the fear of God. That I think, Father God, I want to live to please You. I want to be right. I want to live for You. In Leviticus 10.3, it says, Those who come near Me, I must be regarded as holy. I must be regarded as holy. So I want you to think this. And when I have an opportunity to come around the things of God, I want to live with a reverential fear. I want to fear God. Where I, I tremble in His presence. That when I have an opportunity to obey or disobey, the fear of God comes on me and I say, you know what? I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey God. And you know what? We shouldn't have to have God beg us to praise Him. You know what we were created to do? We were created to give Him praise. Actually, the psalmist says, let everything that had breath praise the Lord. We should come in here and say, you know what? I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise Him with a passion. I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to be excited about the kingdom of God. I'm going to be excited about coming in here. And you know what? If that means coming down here to the altars and raising your that means jumping around and jump around. God will honor it. But I want us to understand, we must live with a reverence. We must live with a kingdom fear. Even at church. You know, when I was in the world, when Friday evening rolled around, you know what that meant for me in the world? It's on. It's on. It's time to party. And you know what I would do? I would make plans. Woo, I would make plans. Now guys, I'm going to tell you right now, this is before I got born again. But you know what my...